0: Hi, everyone. Welcome. Uh, I'm George Reuter. That's Ben Allen. We are here at Zion Fellowship in Canandaigua, New York. We are a life-giving local church. On this special episode, we're going to talk about Bible literacy, what it is, and why we care about it. There's lots of different things you can do with Scripture. I don't know if we
1: have time to get into all of them, but it seems like Reading is one of them. Studying is another one. I would imagine praying and meditating is another one, memorizing scripture, praying scripture. I mean, those are all things that can be done just with scripture itself. And I think, sure, I think God commends us when we do those types of things. Um, So, yeah, I'm curious, you know, just if we could kind of pivot a little bit. So we've been talking about biblical literacy a bit, right? And so... I'm curious. Now we, we've understood like some of the ways that 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 we can use scripture, like praying, studying, reading, right, meditating. So I want to get to though the Sunday service. Okay. Right? So we have some churches that will emphasize experience, the 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 worship side of things, the the emotion side of things that yep. God pulls at our heartstrings and can use tremendously, right? And then we have other churches. That will overemphasize biblical uh, literacy to such an extent to the point of legalism yeah can you
0: talk how do we sandwich those together <laughs> I, I mean yeah. i'm asking you to yeah. make you know uh, you know i will take i will bring out my broadest brush and paint right like that that's crazy uh so let's let's talk about where the protestant tradition comes from right so so, uh, in the Catholic tradition, which was the only church tradition for 1,500 years, in the Catholic tradition, the church came together to talk about the Eucharist. Mm. You gathered, there Just was... So, hang on, so what is the Eucharist? The Eucharist is Sorry. the... Sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm helping everyone at it, home too. It's the, you're fine, it's the host, it's the bread, uh, the bread and the cup that represent or become depending on your theological bent the body and blood of Jesus it's a reenactment of the Last Supper it is a remembrance of what Jesus did for us a Mm. remembrance that Jesus gave his body and his blood for the church that sounds very Zwinglian of you I'm just gonna pretend I know that word so (laughs) uh, the in the Catholic tradition you gather for that. Uh, In fact, uh, you haven't missed church if you show up before that happens. Like you can be late, but you can't be that late because that's why we gather. I see. The Protestants from about 1500 or so they decided, we're going to emphasize the Word. The Word is why we gather. And that's sort of why most of your Protestant churches revolve around the pulpit in the front. Mm-hmm. That's the centerpiece of where ministry happens. Right. And yes, they sing. Uh, there, there's a worship full-time uh, and things of that nature. But really, we gather to hear the Word. That's the Protestant tradition. But the last 60 or 70 years? I go back since, and back. Uh, Could be, since the Pentecostal and Charismatic revivals. There's been an increased emphasis in some aspects of the church on a worshipful experience. Mm. And that's why the stage has the, where the band is gonna be, because it isn't the pipe organ in the back of the church anymore, right? Like it's the the guy on bass and the, the gal on keys and the three singers in the back and all of that. Uh, worship is supposed to be A powerful experience that intersects with our emotions. It's supposed to be, because I can't give all of myself to God if I don't give my emotions to God. I'm not giving all of myself if I'm not giving that. So yes, there is something to be said for that. Uh, My take has long been, uh, ha, I'll go back. About 30 years ago when I got saved, the thought was that you wanted to have an awesome worship time so that the Word of God would find fertile soil when the preaching time came. So we worshipped God and it it opened us to receive what God was going to give us in, in the teaching of the Word. That was the way things were sort of explained to me as a baby Christian in the 90s. But in reality, we preach so that we understand who God is, so that our worship is authentic, so that we know who we're worshiping. Mm -hmm. It's not just that they played that chord a certain number of times in in a particular key and that's why we cry. But rather that we understand who God is and what his word has said, and we understand who we are because of what the scripture says. Mm. And in so doing, we can worship the we can worship God in spirit and in truth. Mm. There's a lot of folks worshiping yeah. God in spirit. There's a lot of folks worshiping God in truth. We want to worship God in spirit and in truth. We want to know who it is that we worship.
1: So it sounds like you're saying it has to be both. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, when you have worship experiences, and not just worship too, but like when the spirit is moving, and, and that's a typical charismatic phrase when mm-hmm. we say it, presence of, of the spirit is most pungent in in miracles, people being healed of different various things in the service, right? Those are amazing things. They're miracles, right? Yes. But you would say, and, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you would agree with this, gifts establish faith, but they okay. are not the mark of maturity.
0: Right, because every Christian has gifts, but not every Christian is mature. And so the way we bring about the maturity in Christ is through His Word, because
1: his word reflects his character. Sure. And as such, when the people reflect who he is, the character of God will be displayed out in the world. And so this is why it's, I think, it has to be a both-and, it can't be an either-or,
0: right? It it has to be a both-and, and and that both-and can exist both in the churches that that have all the flashy neon lights and the 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 fog machine and and they sing uh, songs from a particular catalog of songs but it can also happen just as well and just as easily in a church that sings hymns that sings uh, choruses that are, 60 years old, uh, you can you can have a powerful worship experience regardless of the <clears throat> accoutrements, because when you when you sing from your heart to the God that you love, it has to be emotionally powerful. Yeah, it's gotta be. Uh, so I don't want to put. The one kind of church up against another kind of church, I don't think that's fair. Um, But, there are certainly people who would prefer the worship end of a service to the word end of a service and vice versa. That's a preference thing. Um, My point is the one feeds the other and the other feeds the one. Amen. You need them both. Yeah, that's great. So, we've talked a lot about doctrine we've been around the topic we've been around the topic doctrine is you tell me
1: okay well i just wanted to make sure we knew you know common you know definition Doctrine. i think is the teachings that what
0: the bible prescribes and also describes right so the question would be how do we know what sound doctrine is? The The scripture talks about sound doctrine, how the scripture has been given so that we can have sound doctrine. How do we know that what we believe about God and what we believe about the world is actually true? So I guess I would come to, you know, we
1: answered a part of this, you know, earlier, why why is biblical literacy important? It's because another answer to that is because it is a standard and rule by which we live our lives if, uh, in faith, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have our faith, and so we have to make sure it, measure, it it. it is affirming and ascribing to a certain standard. Now, we don't have to, you know, uphold that standard because it's God's Spirit that gives us that faith, right? But so how do we make sure that when we're walking in faith with with our relationship with Jesus how do we make sure that this is sound teaching that we're doing that we're not going the way of you know uh, the judaizers in the book of acts or in different churches right and so i would say that which is sound doctrine is that which affirms to the historical grammatical method of what the bible interprets
0: and teaches and so the, i can i can break that the, down the historical grammatical method of what the Bible teaches, he's going to tell you what that is. Yeah. So,
1: the historical and grammatical method is the gold standard of exegetical methodologies of interpretation. It's a lot of fancy words, and I'll break them all down for you. So, exegetical just means uh, the act of interpretation. Okay. Okay? Methodology is just the method. Okay? okay. So when I say historical grammatical method, it's a particular type of interpretation that is used as the standard by which we interpret scripture. Okay. okay. And so when we say historical in the historical grammatical method, I mean we're taking into account the historical context of the biblical writers when they wrote.
0: The fact that the Book of Acts happened in the mid-first century A.D. Over 30 and years. What else was going on at that time? Right. Uh, the fact that the prophets lived in particular periods of time, and so the history of that time, as told by other books of the Bible, inform what's going on when we read their work, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, so that's the historical right, of that phrase. So what is the grammatical method, right? So the grammatical just means we're obeying the grammatical syntax and grammar of the time period. Okay. So that, what, what does this mean? So when we say historical grammatical method, we're taking into account the historical context as well as the rules of the current grammar that's there in that context, that method of interpretation.
0: That is the okay. gold standard of determining what is the correct interpretation. And what's the question behind that Um, the way I have always understood that what did the scripture mean to the first hearers yeah Uh, when we so there's lots of people who want to skip to what does the Bible say to me yeah it's called reader
1: response theory
0: right the those people skip over what did the Bible mean to them when it was first said yeah because if we know what it was meant to say to them, then we can draw conclusions for ourselves if our situations are similar. Right. And it's prescriptive, not descriptive, right? right. There are some sections in the
1: Bible that are just descriptive. They're yep. describing experience that happens. That doesn't mean that we can therefore say, oh well the Bible said that, therefore we can do it in our lives now here. Right? Sometimes it's just explaining what happened back then. Other times, though, and I think you would agree with this, other times it is prescriptive. Right. We are to follow the, the exhortations, right, to follow, to walk worthy in a manner of our calling kind of thing. Right. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a really roundabout way of trying to get at, you know, what is sound doctrine? It's that which upholds the historical context and grammatical rules of interpretation.
0: So if I hear you right, doctrine is sound, teaching is true, Um, our interpretation is right if we can interpret the scripture from its historical context using the rules of grammar in a way that the scripture can uh, step by step build that teaching. Yes. Uh, so, if I believe that something is true because of these scripture verses that have been interpreted with all the rules of grammar, then the teaching is sound. Yes,
1: that's the way that I would
0: I would I would attack that kind of question. How would How would you do it? Uh, it is. It's. Uh, so I'm not a. I, yes, I follow historical and grammatical approaches. Yes, I do. Uh, I think sometimes. Teaching is sound, doctrine is sound, if I can put my Bible verses together in a way that says, here's the argument that Paul makes from the epistles, here are the words of Jesus, here are Old Testament examples that back this up, here are uh, great first century people recorded in the Bible living this way, Uh, here are warnings from the apostles about not living this way. Uh, Teaching is sound if I have a panoply of scripture that speaks to it. So you would say it's like a coherence? I would hope so. Uh, There's not a lot of areas of Christian doctrine that have that much scripture to build the case, which is why Christians disagree on doctrine at times. Uh, But I don't think you go wrong if you look for multiple scriptures to back up your belief. Uh, what does the scripture teach about what instruments should be used in worship? Precious little. We have Old Testament examples of certain instruments. None of them are a keyboard. Yeah, I don't think we're using liars too many more. Not a lot of liars, very few harps. Right. Uh, they just don't exist, the tambourines, Some churches use the tambourines. Some people use tambourines. I agree, (laughs) which is all fine. We're not given instruction on how to do that. We're given patterns of how people did it, Uh, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to build a doctrine on how specifically we are to worship now. There are principles in place. God is worship, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth, right? Like, we have scriptures that speak to principles. Those are sound, uh, but the actual outflowing is not always clear. Right. Uh, So for me, uh, there's... There's those things that are clearly taught in the Scripture as biblical, and then there are those things where there's a little bit of play, and we can be scriptural in our approach to general principles uh, without having every last little detail lived out for us. What would you say
1: is an example of those things that is clearly, t- like, in, in the totality of the, of the Bible, what, what would you say is, like, clearly, like, this is affirmed? And then what would you say is another thing that's probably like second or third tier that says, you know, hey, uh, there's some ambiguity here.
0: The, the gospel is an issue of, of essentialness. Uh, the, what the gospel is, who Jesus was, what he did on a cross, why that matters to me. That is taught throughout the scripture. We can stack Bible verses on top of Bible verses on top of Bible verses that say, Jesus was the sinless son of God. He died on a cross for the salvation of sins. That salvation is available for all people. If we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's a matter where there isn't play. Um, Where somebody wants to come along and say, yes, I prayed the prayer, but also have you done this other thing? No, there's no room for that. Uh, There's no scriptures that speak to, let's go for this other thing. And in fact, there are warnings about such things. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would follow a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Right, like you you can go down that road. but there are other things where there's play. Um, the things on the level of meat sacrifice to idols, uh, uh, which is which was a problem in the first century church because there were all these uh, temples to all the foreign gods. And I'm going to talk about this on Sunday, the 3rd of July. Uh, there were these these temples to unknown gods, and they would sacrifice meat on these altars, and then the meat would be available in the marketplace dirt cheap. And the question was, do we or don't we buy that meat? If we buy that meat, are we uh, are we giving credence to a false god? And then there are other people who are like, dude, it's just good cheap meat. Go buy the meat. And, And there are areas where there's play um we don't have that issue nowadays what's something on that level for you yeah so if anyone is curious there's this awesome book called uh, uh, what
1: hills to die on a case for theological triage it's honestly the best book i read last year it's by gavin orland it's, it's really good anyway okay. so in terms of like what hills to die on first tier issues are like the gospel, like what you said, right? Yep. The deity of Christ, yep. right? The he Godhead, is. Father, Son, and Spirit, right? Those are like non-essentials, or excuse me, those they are, are they, they, those are essentials. Excuse me, <laughs> those yeah. are essentials. Yeah. Father, Son, you better edit that out, friend. <laughs> those are essentials. Oh no! It's on oh, no! <laughs> the internet forever. Anyway, so so those are first tier issues, right? Those yeah. are indispensable, right? But what are some things that are second and third tier, right? So I, I have three tiers, right? And you can even have okay. four or five, right? But I would say second tier is that I can still call you a brother, but we probably won't be at the same church. Okay. Which would be, okay, are the gifts for today or not for today? Okay. Have they ceased at the Apostles' time period or are they you know, have, are they still continuing on today?
0: And fleshing that out for our friends at home. That's, um, is speaking in tongues still a thing? Uh, does God, does God still use people prophetically nowadays? Uh, are there people with gifts of healing? Things like that. Yeah. So that would be an example of a second tier issue. I wouldn't,
1: call you a heretic or someone who who isn't a believer for that, but I don't know if you would be able to have fellowship in that way at the same church every Sunday, right? Third tier issue is things like, hmm, do I think that the rapture happens at this point, this point, or this point? All right, so So we can can argue and use scripture verses till the cows come home as proof texts.
0: Around here they do.
1: Right, and so we can say one over the other, we can still fellowship with one another, right, but we can agree to disagree that there's going to be some ambiguity here that we don't know for certain. Right. And the same could be said about creation. Was it long, short, and some people will make it a second-tier issue. Yeah. Some people might make it even a first-tier issue, but that's this is, this is how we have to have a triage for how to deal with that. It's a really good book if anyone wants to pick it up. And I know I sound like a salesman for you, it, but it's a really helpful book that I found last year.
0: There there are people who believe firmly six literal days of creation, and if you don't, you're crazy. And there are people who believe six metaphorical days, it took a long time, and really, they all use the same scripture verses to back up their view. right? Uh, which should tell them that there's probably not as rock-solid agreement as they'd like there to be. Right. Uh, what makes doctrine sound is that we have multiple scriptures and the wisdom of the ages, and we put it all together, and and we build our lives on that. So if we find that is not as many scriptures as we thought. Or I can't make all the connections I'd like to. Or there's lots of other people with different views. Maybe it's just a matter of conscience. Yeah. And there the scripture is very clear. Let each be convinced in his own mind. This is Romans 13, is. 14. Romans right? 13 and yeah. 14 tell us. Um, Some people believe that there are special days on the calendar. Other people believe that every day is the same. Let each be convinced in his own mind. Uh, So it doesn't mean that the doctrine is or is not sound, because I can have some scriptures in mind and then do something that's counter to those. I don't want to go down that road. But we want to be soft in how how we approach others with doctrine that may not be first-tier. Right, yeah.
1: So can, can I ask, how? so we're dealing with this question of sound doctrine. How do we know, like say this is an essential doctrine, how do we know if we're believing something that isn't true? Like how do we know like we're not being deceived spiritually? Like are there things, are there checks that we can do? Kind of tests or whatever to kind of like do a checkup say oh here's my spiritual uh you know is that how how we can do it we can just go into the pastor's office and say
0: you know all right let's do a checkup well it's the it's the ad that runs on the side of your social media right click this link to find out if you're right. deceived right like it's right. that and then when you click it it automatically just says yes in big letters you're deceived Uh, But well, what do we know? We know from the scripture that the heart is deceitfully wicked Mm. uh, and that I mean, we're not that special. Mm. We are totally susceptible Uh, There are things that I believe now that I didn't believe 20 years ago, and there are things uh, that I believe now that I may not believe 20 years from now. Uh, That's just part of being grown into the image and the likeness of Jesus, that's just a thing that's gonna happen. Uh, In the same way that I think I know somebody really well now, but 20 years from now I know them much better. And if I'm growing toward God over the next 20 years, I should know him better. And that means some of the things I thought were true about him now are wrong. So how do we know? If you're doing the Lone Ranger, live on your own, never talk to other people, it's just me and Holy Spirit, that's a little bit harder to do. That's just flat out harder to do. But if I am living in a community with others and I'm meeting regularly with other people who also are trying to know God. And we're comparing our views and I'm saying, well, I believe this for these reasons. And they say, really? What about that? Sometimes somebody will say, what about that? And then I got to go to my prayer closet and say, okay, God, do I have the blind spot here? Am I the one who needs correction here? Because if I'm not open to that possibility, that's an arrogance I don't want to go near. Yeah. Right? It is an arrogance to say, I've got it right. They've got it wrong. Because, I mean, that other person's also made in the image of God. and They've got Holy Spirit inside of them. So, so maybe they have wisdom that I need to learn from. It takes, so I guess it takes a linear combination of humility before God and actual other people who could conceivably tell you, I don't know about that. Have you thought about this instead? What do you think it takes?
1: Well, I think it's a combination, like you said, with making sure that there's a humility. There's a heart position associated with it, right? Yeah. There's also a communal aspect that's necessary, yeah. right, to being amongst the body of believers. But I think also as well, you know, we've, we've, we've been focusing on biblical literacy. So I, I think anything that can be spiritually deceiving would go against what Scripture teaches right. from the most obvious standpoint. And so that I think should be a placeholder in in this discussion, especially... You know, there's no doubt that people can twist things. The devil did it when he twisted scripture, right? Sure. But that's why we have that communal component that's so important, too. So we have humility, we have that communal component, and then we have that standard, which is the scripture itself. So I think if we're using all three of those things, I think we, hopefully, God will be merciful in helping us uh, see if we are to see. Thanks for listening, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.
0: Bible Literacy is a production of Zion Fellowship, a life-giving, loving church in Canandaigua, New York. For more information, please visit www.zionfellowship.net today.